0: Well, good morning, River Valley Community Church. As most of you will, might be aware, my name is Lane Paul, and I am filling in for uh, the good uh, brother, Reverend Pastor Doctor Adam Carius this morning. And uh, that's a, a shout out to Chris out a conversation we had this morning. And in in worship through the the preaching of the word, uh, it's. It's my intention that Christ would be glorified this morning, and that uh, we would see Christ here in the in the last plague and in the uh, Passover celebration. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as a people not deserving, a people that Lord is that are in continual need of your grace, Lord. We uh, we have no hope outside of Christ we have no hope unless you had revealed yourself to us oh, father may you be glorified may we hate sin and and love you and desire to live holy lives so lord in your holy name we pray amen i have not in in my recollection began a sermon with the number one uh, sin of public speaking. That is walking up with a fearful and trembling voice and saying, I am really nervous right now. So the bar might have been set here, but as soon as you say that, you just try to bring the bar. So many people's greatest fear being public speaking, coming before people and talking and proclaiming a message I can only imagine how Moses must have felt time after time after time going to Pharaoh over and over again with these hard sayings, with these signs and wonders that he was going to do against his people. I have gone back and forth with this because there's so much that has happened to this point. And I think the, the way that we begin this this sermon, this uh, this message, if you will, as we begin to prepare our minds and our hearts, is the question: How big is your God? Think about it. How big is your God? Because I was sitting in a seminary class one time, and we were beginning our study through the Book of Exodus in our Old Testament survey class, and the professor, in his in his profound way, he asked that question, and he let it just hang. And as, it sat, as we sat there in the silence, I, it just seems like one of those duck questions. We're, we're seminary students. We know how big God is. He's infinite. We have no picture of God. God himself cannot be pictured. But the question that he was asking as we were beginning our study through the book of Exodus was, we were leaving the book of 20, it says that what Joseph's brother brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. And in the same way as we read through the plagues, the signs, the wonders that God has done against Egypt, that He has saved and separated His people and He has judged and condemned the Egyptians, that God uses these plagues, these signs and wonders against Egypt to save His people to judge the sins of the wicked. And this whole time it's easy to miss the the overtone of of what seems to be Pharaoh versus Yahweh, the Egyptians versus the Israelites. But the whole time there has been no contest that Egypt is in tatters at this point. There is absolutely no hope that these people have. These people, the Egyptians, have been begging Pharaoh to let these people go because they are sick and tired of these plagues. But Pharaoh will not let the people go. And at this point of the book, at this final plague, if you remember, if you've been thinking about it, if you've been keeping in mind the context of the book in Exodus 3:19 to 22, you'll read the Israelites, will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Okay, that hasn't happened yet. And then you go over to the next chapter in Exodus 4 22 and 23 you'll read this again God to Moses he says you shall say to Pharaoh thus says the Lord Israel is my firstborn son and I say to you let my son go that he may serve me if you refuse to let him go behold I will kill your firstborn son That has got to be some of the hardest news to deliver to somebody to tell them that your firstborn children will die if you do not do this. And as we've looked throughout the past 10 plagues, we've seen God hardening Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardening Pharaoh's heart, and sometimes it's left to the reader to understand who is hardening Pharaoh's heart, yes. But ultimately, Pharaoh is the one who is doing these evil deeds. God does not need to coerce Pharaoh into doing these wicked things to withhold God's people from going. Pharaoh is evil. He is wicked. He desires to keep these slaves for his own benefit. He has no intention of letting them go. As we've seen time after time throughout all the plagues that Pharaoh wants to keep them. He says, okay, well, he kind of tries to give them a little leeway. He says, you guys just let some of your men go. You guys do your thing and then come right back. But God has made it abundantly clear that if you do not let my people go totally and wholly, I will do these things. I will punish you. This is the final straw. This was the redemption promised by Yahweh and the judgment promised on his enemies. So if you would turn to Exodus chapter 11, it'll be on the screens if you don't have your Bibles. So we're going to read Exodus chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. In all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. There was never a a point in time where redemption for the Israelites was uncertain. It was only a matter of time. God had promised his people that he would do it, and now he is bringing it to fruition. He said that unless a mighty hand is outstretched, we read this, we should be constantly looking back, examining where we've been, and seeing where we are now. And God does not forget as easily as we might think that he does. You see, there was never a moment when God was not planning to certainly fulfill his promises to the Israelites and certainly fulfill his judgment upon the sins of the Egyptians if they did not let his people go. And in this, you see the the dichotomy that we have in the Bible. You have those who are not God's people and you have those who are God's people. And all these plagues, all these signs, all these wonders, they're supposed to lead us to a place of humility to see who our God is and why Egypt's gods are fake. They're nothing but a footstool that God uses to stand on, that they are meaningless, that Yahweh is the only God. He is the Lord of all creation, and that the gods that Egypt worship, worships are, are useless. They're nothing. They're not real. And in Looking at chapter 11, we see God reaffirming this promise, reaffirming the judgment that he will pronounce on the Egyptian people. It should be a reflection of our own spiritual need. Because we, as God's people, as a people, we need redemption. We need saving. We are sinners in need of a Savior, desperately so. In all of this, we should see that we need to have hope in our Redeemer. Like the Israelites in chapter 11, in the whole book, they need to have hope in their Redeemer, lest they forget that Yahweh is the one bringing them out. They have hope in their Redeemer that He will certainly do it, and this hope does not put them to shame. This hope is a certain hope. This hope is a hope that is a living hope, if you will. And so God gives them a celebration, something to remember this redemption that he's going to bring them. So we're going to read Exodus chapter 11, verses 1 through 28 now, and um, we'll leave the rest of the uh, verses for later. Exodus 12, verses 1 through 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take from it the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and with your staff in hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven, a person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning." For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep the service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this?" service the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt? When you struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped then the people of Israel went out and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron so they did i read all that for two reasons one it's easy to miss the details right there's a lot there but two i think we should see that how the importance of the of the repetition that this is a landmark event to be an annual reminder of their redemption, that the, there's continual hope in their Redeemer from times past to times future until the Lord allows them to dwell in the land. And while they are dwelling in the land, they are to remember this. This is a, a feast that they're to remember annually. It's to be the thing that their whole world centers around. It's the beginning of their calendars. It's the beginning of their year. This is the feast that is begun that is supposed to last a week, it is uh, very specific, and it starts with a spotless lamb. When you read the specifications for all of the Passover feast requirements, when we read of this spotless lamb, it's easy to think that, oh, he just wants the, the best of the best. He of something greater. When he says spotless, it has the intention of something pure, Something without uh, any sin in it. This sacrifice was supposed to be something symbolic of Israel's greater need. Of a spiritual saving, of a spiritual deliverance, a spiritual redemption. That their hope in their Redeemer was not just something physical. It was supposed to be something eternal, continual. That they would know and rely and hope in their Redeemer for the rest of their days. This isn't just a physical need, it's a spiritual need of redemption for the day when the lamb would no longer be necessary, for a day when the sacrifice will be once and for all, that the sacrifice would pay for the penalty of their sins completely and totally. And if you read First Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19, it'll be here on the screen's knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This, this lamb is supposed to be symbolic of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? When we read our Old Testament, there's so many cross-references in our study Bibles that are easy to miss, but, but when you, Jesus is our Passover lamb... He is our pure and holy sacrifice. He is the one that takes the sin of the world that we might be made right with our God. He is the redeemer that we put our hope in. Jesus is our spotless lamb. Jesus is the one that pays our penalty. He steps in our place that we would have forgiveness of our sins. The theological phrase that Is thrown around in in theological circles is penal substitutionary atonement, that is the the penalty of of sin, it has to be paid somehow by a substitution. And that substitution is a uh, is Jesus that we know now, right? But back in the Old Testament, we read in the Levitical Laws, and even here in Exodus, we read the sacrifices of the Lamb. They were supposed to be foreshadows, foreshadowing of something greater, that being Jesus and and Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 puts it succinctly indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins you see the deal with sin is it is treason against a perfect and holy that deserves nothing less than death we don't deserve to live any moment that we have on this earth in this in this moment right here and now. It is a gift from God that we might repent of our sins and have hope in our redeemer. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins, there is no forgiveness of sins. And when we read this Passover feast, we see the spotless lamb, we see the sacrifice of the lamb to be remembered year after year after year. There is no other way that we can be saved but by the death and the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't know this Jesus, you have no hope. I'm sorry to say it, but All the security that you might have in wealth and and how much food you can stockpile and how many guns you might have and how much stuff you can acquire, how much prestige you have in society, your socioeconomic status. It's all nothing before the God of creation. Look at Pharaoh and all these plagues, signs, and wonders. They were brought to nothing. They thought they had everything. Pharaoh was looked at to be uh, the one who communicated with the gods as a descendant of the gods themselves. And God made him low and humble himself before the God of all creation. No forgiveness, no redemption without the blood of Jesus. These sacrifices in this book, they are foreshadowing an even greater sacrifice, leading to an even greater hope. Yes, this deliverance that God is going to give the Israelites from the Egyptians is going to be supernatural. It's going to be awesome and it is going to be totally and completely what the Israelites needed and what God promised to them but it was only a foreshadowing of what was to come because the blood of goats and lambs it can't totally and completely forgive sins only the death of a man can atone for the sins that a man has uh, done Jesus, as the God-man, stepped down onto earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, was that spotless lamb, and died the most gruesome death imaginable. It's the most unjust thing ever to happen. The perfect Holy One that had done nothing wrong, never deserved death, died for all of us that deserve death. And we have forgiveness now if we would just believe in that have hope in your Redeemer. This is our confession. This is our burden, the cross Sunday morning after Sunday morning. Family, this is the good news. Jesus Christ died for sinners like us. We have hope, eternal hope. We are not put to shame for that hope because we know that if we believe in Christ that forever we will live with Him In total harmony, every sin will be wiped away. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Sorry, I'm I'm totally butchering that. But we will be made totally right with our God. And so, simply put, the blood of God must be spilled to atone for the wrath of God in the place of man. There is no other way other than the death of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so let's read the last part of Exodus here that we've got. Exodus 12, verses 29 to 32. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captives who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, "Up, go out from among my people, both you, words as you have said, and begone, and bless me also." Pharaoh did not see; he did not take seriously the final warning that Moses had proclaimed, the final judgment that was to come upon him if he didn't let these people go and. This was the act, the mighty hand that God has put over the land of Egypt to make Pharaoh let God's people go. And yet Pharaoh is still arrogant enough to think that he can ask for a blessing from these people. Pharaoh thinks that he still has some right to what these people have. He does not know what just happened. He does not know the God that just did these things. And as we'll see in the Exodus later, as Adam will preach on next week, that Pharaoh will chase after them and we all know that good story and I'll leave it for him to tell. But let's not lose the fact that Moses was still in the presence of Pharaoh time after time after time after time after all these things had happened and he still proclaimed the messages and and finally when Pharaoh said, let my people go, he was there and he accomplished it. But none of this was done without faith. If you read in the, in the book of Hebrews, in the 11th chapter, I believe is what it is, you see the great hall of heroes of the, of the faith, of the old, how they all had faith by the things that they did, that all the, all the power, all the salvation, all the redemption that was done, it was done by faith. And when you read the section about Moses, we read that Moses did these things by faith. He went into Pharaoh. He did the signs and wonders. He led them out of Egypt by faith the question that i want to leave to you is do you have faith in your redeemer do you have faith in jesus christ do you believe this message because there are two people there are two categories of people there are those who are saved and those who are not you have god's people and you have not god's people what we have to wrestle with this morning is, do we believe this redemption? Do we, do we know that this truly is hope? This is hope um, realized. This is hope in the form of a man. There is no other way. This is what we gather around. This is the seriousness. This is a life or death situation. There is no other way but Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for life. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in sins. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that does not know you. There's no hope outside of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is no redemption, there is no salvation, there is no forgiveness of sins, there is no hope in life without Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified in all of us, that as we gather week after week, Sunday after Sunday, knowing that You are a redeemer that we have no other basis by which we stand but by the merits, the blood, the work of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and we praise you in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Lane.